0: to preach through this book for two and a half chapters. We have been looking at the sad state and the sad story of the ruin of the human race because of sin. Paul has covered all the bases and he has left us in a place Where we find that we all have fallen short of the glory of God. That we're all sinners. And Paul has left us in a place where we wonder, is there any hope? I I see where I am in my sinful condition. And I see where God is in his holy exaltedness. And I see the great gulf that is between the two. Because this is where Paul has left us. But now we reach a new and a glorious point in Paul's letter. Understanding the Bible depends on understanding some, some of the main words. Words like justification, redemption, faith, substitution, obedience, grace, mercy, and others. But it is also the case that understanding the Bible sometimes depends on what we might think of as the less important words. One of the most wonderful words that you will find in the Word of God only contains three letters. B-U-T. But. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, How you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God. Listen, I have a whole sermon on just those two words. But God. That's how wonderful they are. And here we see that Paul does the same thing. We come to two such words at the beginning of Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. He says, but now. Let's back up. Verse 19. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now... But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. This is a great turning point in God's dealings with the human race. If we had not studied the first two and a half chapters of Romans, we would not be in a a position to appreciate the greatness of those two words. But now. Now. But now, you see here, Paul says, here's where I left you in a place where you understand the gulf that exists between a holy God and a sinful man or woman. But God took the initiative. That's what Paul's saying there. And but now he's saying, but God did something about this. Okay. now, if you wanted to say amen in this sermon anywhere, that was it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God took the initiative God did something and if we had not studied the first two and a half chapters of Romans we would not understand this but the contrast between then and now is very great for the apostle Paul the change between a past sad state of affairs and a glorious present state is one that Paul himself understood because Paul had experienced this Saul, a Pharisee, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he says, a man who had a great zeal for God. But he hated Jesus Christ. He hated the followers of Christ. And so Saul set out and he traveled from place to place delivering these Christians up to prison some even to death. This, this Saul as Stephen was being stoned for his faith, Saul stood over here holding the coats and watching and agreeing with what they were doing. And so Saul was on his way to Damascus and as he was on the way a bright light appeared And Jesus himself said, Saul, what are you doing? And he said, well, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. Yeah, that was a turning point in his life. Now listen, very rarely do we see conversions as dramatic as Saul's was. But just because it's not as dramatic doesn't mean it's any less important. But you see, Paul knows what he's talking about here because he has experienced this. Uh, Paul had been an enemy of Christ and his followers. Here's the interesting thing. When Paul or Saul was going out and he was delivering these Christians up to death and up to prison, he thought he was working for God. He thought that, that he was doing what was right. But he was actually in great darkness. He was ignorant of God and opposed to uh, believers. Then Christ appeared to to Paul, and he revealed himself as the Son of God. And in that moment, the truth broke through to his darkened heart, to a new life of serving Christ and his gospel. As a matter of fact, I want to read what Paul says about this over here in uh, Philippians chapter 3. Paul says... Let's see, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law a Pharisee as to zeal. A persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So here's what Paul is saying. He says, look, if there's anybody that has any room for boasting, he said, hey, it's me. He said, I was somebody in the religious community. I was someone. I had a zeal for God. But then look at verse seven. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss.'" For the sake of Christ, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 19 is a wonderful verse. I mean, verse nine and be found in him. Not having my, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness apart, uh, from God that depends on faith. So this is who it is who is saying to us right here, but now the righteousness of God. You know, you could go back and you could read chapter 1 and verse 18. And then you could go immediately to chapter 3 and verse 21. <coughs> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. But now... But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So Paul here, he he goes, he talks about going from wrath to righteousness in the context of his letter to the Romans. Paul speaks of this great change, not so much as something that has occurred to him personally, but as something that God has done to provide for the salvation of his people, all his people. If God had not done this, if there were no but now, there'd be no hope. There'd be no reason for us to be here. We would all be doomed and on our way to an eternity under the righteous judgment of God in hell. But God did something. But now things are different. There is hope because of what the Lord Jesus has accomplished. The life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. It changed everything. <clears throat> we were talking in Sunday school this morning about the importance, about how the virgin birth of, the virgin birth of Christ is one of those essentials. That's a non-negotiable. Because it is because of the virgin birth of Christ that he was born into this world sinless, without sin. And for 33 and some odd years he walked this earth and, and He and never in word, thought, or deed did he ever sin in any way. And he went to a cross and, and he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the acceptable sacrifice. And we talked about how we know that He was the acceptable sacrifice because they took Him down, they laid Him in a tomb, and three days later He walked out. And He was declared Paul said back in chapter 1 of Romans to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is contrasting the then with the now. But what specifically has changed? Paul's use of now suggests that there are some changes in, in some areas. The first change is that we have, there is a change between wrath and righteousness. But now, he says, the righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. Those, those little words right there, apart from the law, that's very important in this in this context right here here's what Paul is saying he's saying but now the righteousness of God has been manifested not because you kept the law you know why you can't so Paul is saying apart from law he doesn't mean the law doesn't have anything to do with this but he's saying that it's not because we have kept the law not because of what we have done Is He's contrasting this with what he said back in chapter 1 and verse 18. Before, the wrath of God was being revealed against us. But now, the righteousness of God has been revealed to us. If we don't understand that apart from Christ we are under God's wrath, we can hardly appreciate the greatness of what God has done for us in Christ. This is why Paul spent two and a half chapters telling us what terrible people we are. This is why Paul spent two and a half chapters telling us that we are vile sinners who, who do not seek after God, who, who care nothing about God. He said our speech is, is evil and sinful, everything about us. This is why he says you are never going to appreciate what God has done till you, appreciate where you were. You're never going to appreciate what you are until you appreciate what you were. How can you and I as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those of you who has placed your faith and your trust in Christ, who know that your sins have been forgiven, who know that you have been given new life in Christ, how can we do anything in this world except that which pleases our Father? How? How can we spend any time in our life thinking that it's all about me? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were alienated from God. We were enemies of God. But Paul says, but now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. How was the righteousness of God manifested In the Lord Jesus Christ. In this one who was completely innocent, and he was taken by cruel men, and he was nailed to a Roman cross, and for six hours one Friday, he hung there, naked, shame, agony, suffering. And yet he said, Father, forgive them. And yet he said, today you will be with me in paradise. He, didn't, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about others. He was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. And so we, when, when Paul says, but now that should drive every single one of us to our knees in worship before God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. And we must understand that there has been a change. The first change is from wrath to righteousness. The second change is from condemnation to justification. Okay, I'm going to skip ahead now to probably the greatest verse and the greatest chapter of the greatest book in the Bible. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. When does that happen? Now. There is therefore now no condemnation. But you know, most people, they don't see themselves as being under condemnation. If you go out and you can ask the average church member or you can go out and visit your neighbors that don't even go to church and, and, and ask them, say, do you realize you're under the condemnation of God? And they'll say, well, no, I don't think that I am. Over in John chapter three. You know, everybody knows John 3.16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Nobody knows John 3.17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the, in order that the world might be saved through Him. But notice what He says in verse 18. And whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But, there's that word again, whoever does not believe, not will be condemned, is already condemned, already condemned. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is light, judgment that light has come into the world. And the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So you see we have, but now because of Christ's work there can be justification rather than condemnation. If you are here without Jesus Christ this morning, you need to know, you need to know this morning that you abide under the condemnation of God. You need to know that you are an enemy of God, that you abide under the righteous, the righteous wrath of God. And you have already, Jesus said, been condemned because you don't believe. So the first change is from wrath and righteousness, and the second is from condemnation and justification to be justified before God. And and we're going to get into that more uh, in in the next couple of weeks about our justification in Christ, how we have been freely justified. But the third change this morning is from bondage and freedom. Sin enslaves us so that we cannot live lives that are pleasing to God. Being united to Christ by the Holy Spirit delivers us from bondage and enables us to live holy lives. Are you a sin of a slave of sin this morning? The sin control your life. You see, Jesus said, whoever you obey, that's your master. And I want to tell you something, folks, that every human being on the face of this planet is a slave to one of two people. And one of those people is not who you think it is. You're either a slave to Christ, or you're a slave to yourself. And your sin. And your self-righteousness. But being united to Christ, over in chapter 6, verse 22, Paul says, But now, there's the... You see, you don't notice these words till you understand how important they are. Chapter 6, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. But now... We are called to live holy before our God, but it is beyond our capability to do this. We can't do this. But as I have said, what God demands, God provides. And God has demanded that we be holy, and God has provided the means whereby He will make us holy. And Paul says there, but now, whose slave are you this morning? Are you still in bondage to sin? You know, when we get there, we'll see throughout the the entire chapter, chapter 6, chapter 6, That's what Paul's talking about. Verse 1, he says, How can you who died to sin live any longer in it? He said, How do you do that? So, where are you a slave to this morning? Have, Have you experienced this but now in your life? And become a slave of Christ and His righteousness. The fourth change is exclusion and participation. In Christ we have been adopted. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Ephesians uh, 2.13, he says, but now, you don't realize how many times Paul uses those two words and how important they become. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This morning in Sunday school, in our study of worship, we were talking from the book of Hebrews about how God is constantly telling us to draw near, draw near, draw near to him. You know, I, I, I gave the, the example of, you know, if I could meet anybody in the world today, who it would be, it would be Queen Elizabeth. I just love that woman for some reason. Now, I don't care about all that other mess they talk about with him, but I just love her. I'd love to meet her. But I could not do that unless she took the initiative and said, I want him to come into my presence. And God is the same way. We cannot just approach God willy-nilly any way we want, anyhow we want to. Just as if I were going to go to the to, to meet the Queen of England, can you imagine me wearing my jeans with my holes in it and my work boots and... No ratty t shirt. Can you imagine? You think she'd let me in? Well, of course not, because there must be a way. But you know what? If one of her children wants to meet with her, you know what they get to do? They just get to walk right in the room. They don't have to go through guards, they don't have to go through anybody. They just have instant access to her. And that's what Paul is telling us. He says, But now in Christ, you who were once afar off, that's just Gentiles, by the way. He says, Now the ways you have been made brought near by the blood of Christ, we have been adopted into the family. And did you know that, that as an adopted child, we have all the rights and the privileges as a natural born child? And this is what but now the righteousness of God has done for us. I've said that the words but now indicate that something new has happened in terms of a person's, a believing person's relationship to God. And although this is true in one sense, there's another sense in which it's not new at all. That's what he says in the last part of verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. <clears throat> and we need to understand that Abraham was saved the same way I am. That Moses was saved the same way you are. David was saved the same way every believer is. It's an expression of the same plan through which God has been saving people from the very beginning. Somebody years ago, I remember listening to a preacher who was talking about how when God created Adam and Eve, he intended for them to live forever in that state. And that the cross of Christ was plan B. No, it's not. There's never been a plan B. There's not even a plan A. There's just a plan. And it's God's plan. Before the foundation of the world, before he ever created anything, God knew that Christ would come and die and give his life a ransom for many. That was the plan from the very beginning. And this is the gospel. There in Genesis uh, 3.15, we see the gospel preached even in the garden. I will put enmity between your seed and the woman's seed. God preached the gospel to Satan right there in the Garden of Eden. This was never a plan B. It was a plan all along and the prophets. And he says here that the law and the prophets bear witness to it. That's interesting. I can understand when he says the prophets bear witness to it, but he says the law bears witness to it. You know, all those thou shalt nots. And we need to understand that the purpose of the law of God is to point us to Christ. That's where we miss it. The law says, Obey me or die. You know what that does, by the way, don't you? That means we are all condemned under the law. But the law says, You must keep me perfectly, you must be perfectly obedient. And I say, well, I can't do that. And the law says, but there's one who did. There's one who does. You remember the story in the Old Testament? The people had rebelled against God and he sent these serpents out and they were biting the people. And so Moses, he intercedes on behalf of the people before God. And God says, I want you to take a serpent out of brass, put it on a pole and raise it up. And everyone who looks at it will be healed of the deadly bites of the serpents. And Jesus himself tells us what that was all about. He says, just as Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Now, I think he means two things there. He was lifted up on a cross. And it is there that he draws all men to himself. But it also is a believer in Christ as I live my life. Do I lift him up? Do I lift him up that he might draw people to him? And so the law and the prophets, they, they, they talk about this. You know, Isaiah chapter 53 is is the chapter that, you know, gives us a perfect description of the, the cross of Jesus Christ about seven, eight hundred years before it ever happened. And, and, and in, in chapter 53 verses 3 through 6 he says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with griefs. And as one whom uh, from whom men hide their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But, there's that word again, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his uh, wounds, we are healed. So we see that uh, these prophecies of the salvation that 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 was to come through Jesus Christ can be multiplied hundreds of times, if not thousands of times. You can start in Genesis and go all the way through the book of Malachi and you can find prophecy after prophecy after prophecy pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul means when he says this is nothing new. He says, but now, this righteousness that God has manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from your keeping the law, he said that was prophesied all along. He said, from the very beginning, all through the Old Testament. The important thing, however, is not so much whether you understand or even know all these Old Testament prophecies, but whether the change that it speaks of is a reality in your life. When Paul says, but now the righteousness of God. Let me ask you a question. Is there a but now time in your life in regards to your relationship to Christ? Can you look back and say, there was a time when I was dead in trespasses and sins. There is a time when I was under the righteous condemnation of God. But now... Because of Christ, I'm no longer condemned. Because of Christ, now, I have new life. Is there a time in your life when you can, you can remember? Do you remember your past sins and your failures? Can you say that was true of me once? That's who I used to be. Can you say he has saved me? I have become an entirely new creation because of Christ. Paul could look at his life and he could say this is who I was. Apart from Christ. But in Christ. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. And all things have become new. Is there a but now time in your life? I want to quote something that the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, when the devil attacks you and suggests to you that you are not a Christian and that you've never been a Christian... Because what is still in your heart, or because of what you're still doing, or because of something you once did, when he comes and then accuses you, what do you say to him? Do you agree with him? Or do you say to him, yes, that was true, but now... Do you hold up these words against him or when perhaps you feel condemned as you read the scriptures, as you read the law in the Old Testament, as you read the Sermon on the Mount? And as you feel that you are undone, do you remain lying on the ground in hopelessness or do you lift up your head and say, but now? This is the essence of the Christian position. This is how faith answers the accusations of the law. The accusations of conscience and everything else that would condemn and depress us. These are indeed very wonderful words. And it's important that we should lay hold of them and realize their tremendous importance and their real significance. Isn't that wonderful? Can you say those words? You can if you trust in Jesus Christ and his death on your behalf. You can if you have believed the gospel and understand that without Christ, you are a lost sinner bound for eternity in hell. But now Christ has come. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Can you say, you know, one of my favorite stories in the, in the gospels, There's a young man born blind. And he sat begging. And Jesus comes along and heals him. And he's standing before the religious leaders. And they're saying to him, Who did this to you? And he said, I don't know. I don't know who it was. It was that teacher. And they eventually find out it was Jesus. And they say to him, look, you know he's a sinner, right? You know that the works he does, he does by the power of Satan, right? And he said, look, all I know is one minute I was blind and the next I could see. (laughs) You know what he was saying? He's saying, look, you call him what you want to, but you can't refute the facts. I was blind and now I see. Can you say that? Can you say, you know, once I was blind, when Satan attacks you, when your heart condemns you, when your conscience comes after you, can you say, look, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. I once was lost, but now I'm found. But now, but now, but now. Isn't that wonderful how those two words change everything? But now. Jesus Christ is the one to trust and receive God's righteousness through him. And that's what Paul, he is about to just explode with this. Paul says, let me tell you where you were. Let me tell you who you were. But now, let me tell you what God did. He's told us what we did. Now he's going to tell us what God did. And he's going to say, But you did this, but God did that. You were this, but God made you this. You were going there, but now God's bringing you here. But can you say that this morning? Can you say, is there a but now time in your life when you can say, I once was blind, but now I see? I once was dead, but now I believe the gospel and I'm alive. Can you say that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, from the bottom of our hearts, we recognize, Lord, that without Christ, we are condemned. We are lost. We are blind. We are poor. We are naked. We have no hope. But now, Father, you have taken the initiative. And you have sent Jesus into the world. Father, he came and lived a perfect sinless life. He died a perfect sacrifice upon that cruel Roman cross. And that he lives, he rose the third day and lives today, Father, ever to make intercession for us. Oh God, we, we, we have no words to express our gratitude. That we once were this, but now, because of Christ, we can have eternal life. And I pray, Father, if there's one here that you have called to be yours, that they might hear the gospel this morning and respond and go into the but now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.